We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On yesterday's show, I talked about critical thinking and the ability that we as human beings have to think critically, to critique, to disagree in a logical and rational way. Today, I'm going to talk about that more and expose the difference between critical thinking and critical theory. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks so much for listening into the show. On yesterday's program, I talked a little bit about critical thinking. I talked about it in the context of Noelle Maring's book, Awake Not Woke. And as I was talking about that, it dawned on me. There's a huge difference between critical thinking, which is good, because that's the ability to think critically, to critique, to logically and rationally engage with someone in a disagreement, an open, robust exchange of ideas, a debate, if you will. That is an example of thinking critically. And I suggested to you yesterday that this is just one more example of words that have lost their meaning that this whole idea, excuse me, this whole idea of being a critical thinker is somehow disparaged today because you're, you're a critic, you're being critical, you're disparaging other people, you're talking bad about an industry or a company or a church or a school, school system. You're talking bad because you're too critical. We've lost the definition of what this means. To think critically is not to be a negative person, per se. It's to challenge ideas, to recognize that something might be wrong, that the logic of your opponent may be lacking, that their ideas aren't grounded well, or that they have been proven to be faulty, that the ideas have been around for a long time, that they are grounded, that they have been deeply seated in the march of human history and that they've constantly borne negative fruit. For example, socialism, communism, collectivism has never worked. Those ideas may be founded, but uh, the, the fruit that they've borne is not good. It's rotten fruit. So this is an example. What I'm doing right now is an example of being uh, critical in a positive way, critically analyzing the ideas the, the proof that those ideas are either good or bad, and inviting an exchange, a debate, an argument. This is not a negative thing. This is what human beings do. I've said many times on this show, animals don't do this. You don't see cows out in the pasture or horses or whatnot engaging in critical thought and open debate. They don't do that. I, I believe that the capacity that we have to uh, communicate to agree or disagree, to challenge one another, to do it in a thoughtful, rational, logical way, 
is God's thumbprint on our soul. We're created in the image of God. We are the Omago Dei, and we have the ability to do these things, and that's why we do. We're different than all of the rest of creation. So when, when we see something good, we can say so. When we see something that isn't working and it's bad, it's bearing negative consequences that the ideas are not leading in a positive direction and we are critical of that. It's not something that should be disparaged. In fact, it's something that should be encouraged and rewarded. And unfortunately, that's not the case in today's school system. Now, some of you might be saying, there you go, Piper, you're attacking the schools. Well, remember who I am. I have a couple of them there degrees, too. This is my industry. This is my career. This is my background. This is, this is what I did for my entire career. I am an educator. I am a teacher. I am an administrator. I have, and I, I don't mean to flaunt or brag or boast about my credentials, but I do think it's important for people to understand that uh, Everett Piper is not critiquing the educational establishment, the state of today's current educational system, in a vacuum. I have a master's degree from one university that's recognized as one of the top universities, schools of education in the nation. And I have another degree, it's called a doctorate, a doctorate in philosophy, a PhD from another university that's recognized as having a college of education therein that's one of the best in the nation. Now that doesn't mean that I'm right, but it does mean that I perhaps have the obligation and the responsibility to engage in this discussion as to whether or not today's educational system, today's educational model, is good or bad, broken or healthy. And that's why I do what I do, okay? So I guess as the Apostle Paul said in his epistles, when he said, hey, I'm a Pharisee of all Pharisees, I don't think he was boasting. He was basically saying that, hey, I've got a couple of them their degrees too. I've got a couple pieces of paper hanging on my wall. I have the right and the responsibility to engage in this discussion, in this debate, because I'm a Pharisee of all Pharisees. I know the terms of the discussion. I know the language. I know what we're talking about. And I'm going to enter into this with a critical mind, and I'm going to debate, I'm going to argue, and I'm going to suggest that you're right about that, but you might be wrong about several other things. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was saying when he was building the early church and challenging those people that were suggesting he didn't know he didn't know what he was talking about in terms of Jewish law and Jewish tradition. He was saying, no, 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 I really do know. <laughs> I've got a couple of them there degrees too. I think that when you're talking about education, we need to have a more diverse and more inclusive group of professionals as we discuss what's good and bad, what's right and wrong with today's educational model. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes, and we'll discuss all of this and more from the context of Noel Merring's book, Awake, Not Woke. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, in yesterday's show, I read you a quote from Noel Merring's book, Awake, Not Woke. Excellent book. I recommend that you go out and get it and read it. Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful critique of wokeism. What is it? How is it affecting our, our culture? And what is it grounded in? Essentially, the 
woke movement is a Marcusean movement, a Marxist movement. Now remember what those words mean, who those people are, Marx and Marcuse. You know who Karl Marx is, okay, the father of communism, if you will. And remember that that idea has been rooted deeply in culture for at least 100 years, if not more, and it has borne some very negative consequences. You have 100 million people that are dead at the hands of the Marxist revolution. So you might want to ask yourself, in a critical fashion, is this a good or is it a bad idea? Is this something we want to continue to double down on, or should we discard it as a very broken idea, an idea that leads to human suffering rather than human flourishing? Does it result in more freedom or does it result in more bondage and slavery? I assume that we want to agree as human beings that are listening to this podcast right now that bondage and slavery are bad. For example, was antebellum slavery a bad thing? Was the fact that United the United States of America stained its hands with the blood of slaves, was that bad? I think we all agree. Even Black Lives Matter should agree with us on that. Even those people from the Frankfurt School should agree with us that antebellum slavery was bad and that the British slave trade was bad and that trafficking people as a commodity, as a product, and selling them to others that have the resources to buy those people and use them for labor or for sex or for whatever purpose, and then just discard them as chattel, uh, that these are all bad ideas. Surely we can agree on that, right? And if we agree on that, then we ought to approach Marcuse's ideas in the Frankfurt School, with the same critical eye because Marcuse grounds his ideas in Marxism. The Frankfurt School, which is the school out of which critical theory, critical race theory, and all things critical theory, uh, the Frankfurt School grounds everything in class conflict and the quest for power. Okay, so this is the nature of the debate today. So when we talk about critical theory, it's very different than critical thinking. Critical thinking is is good. You're critiquing ideas and you're looking at the march of human history. You're looking at the consequences of Marxism, for example, communism, socialism, and you're saying, "Mm, the consequences of that idea, they're not good. Therefore, we might want to go back and peel back the layers of that idea and see what's wrong with it. Has there been another model in human history that has resulted in more freedom rather than less? Uh, has uh, Has there been an example out there? Is there an example out there of something that has worked better than Marxism? Well, Marcuse in the Frankfurt School doubles down on Marxism and says, no, the reason it hasn't worked is we were focused, we were focused, excuse me, we were focused on the wrong thing. We were focused on economic conflict. What we need to focus on now is intersectionality. We need to focus on uh, racial conflict. We need to focus on the conflict between identity groups, whites against blacks, men against women, blacks against Hispanics, Hispanics against Asians. We need to focus on cisgender against homosexuals and transgender individuals. We need to highlight the fact that there are underprivileged groups in every culture, and those underprivileged groups, those people that have been systemically disadvantaged by the power base, need to rise up and even 
even if it takes violent methods, overthrow the power structure and grab the ring, grab the ring of power for themselves. So do you get my point here? The difference between critical thinking is critical thinking is the logical, robust, analytical exchange of ideas. Who's right? Who's wrong? Let's look at this. Let's look at the evidence and the proof therein. Compare a biblical worldview to a Marxist worldview and see which worldview has worked better for people. Again, the uh, quadrilateral. You look at things through the lens of experience, tradition, reason, and revelation. Experience, how's it working for you? Reason, you have a mind, use it. Debate rationally, think critically and analytically. Tradition, which is sometimes referred to as history in the quadrilateral, in other words, tradition and history are interchangeable terms in this context. Tradition or history is grandma and grandpa may have known something, the ideas that have been around for a long time and have endured the test of time. Ideas that have been proven to bear positive fruit rather than negative fruit should be attended to. And the ideas that have been tested over and over again through the course of human history and tradition that have been proven faulty should be discarded. Don't try to resurrect them if they constantly and repeatedly result in death and deprivation of your brothers and sisters. That, that's not a good thing to do. That, it's arrogant to think that you can take a bad idea and resurrect it and somehow turn it into something that's good. That's why this modern-day infatuation with socialism makes no sense. You're not going to take Marxist theory and twist it a bit and make it good. It is a bad idea, pure and simple. Tradition and history proves it over and over and over again. Uh, slavery forced human labor, buying and selling people as if they're nothing but chattel, is a bad idea. It's been proven over and over and over again to not work. We shouldn't try to resurrect that and twist it and manipulate it. The quest for power, rather than governing our relationships on the basis of principle, has proven itself over and over and over again to not work. So my point is, when you look at the quadrilateral and in, in evaluating the ideas before us, you look at you look at these things. You look at experience. How's it working for you? If it doesn't work, you might want to try something else that's proven to work. And if you have a brain, you're a rational human being, you should engage in stuff like what we're doing right now without shooting the messenger. This idea that, well, you know, he's a conservative, don't listen to him. Or frankly, they're, they're, they are a liberal, um, don't listen to them. It's not a good idea. It's, it's not a good premise. You don't shoot the messenger, you listen to the message. You know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So even somebody who has a worldview that you disagree with might be right on a given point at a given time. So listen to them, engage the idea, exchange, exchange thoughts with one another in a polite and civil fashion. All right, so back to my summary of the quadrilateral. You have experience. How's it working for you? Reason. You have a rational mind. You have tradition, otherwise known as history. Grandma and grandpa might have actually known something. The ideas that have been around a while and been tested by, by time should be attended to, and you shouldn't arrogantly discard them just because they're old ideas. Like C.S. Lewis said, this is called chronological snobbery. Just because it's a new idea doesn't mean it's a good one. Just because 
you think in your youth that you've got it all together doesn't mean you should ignore your mom and dad or your grandfather or your grandmother. You know what? They've been around the block a couple times, and you might want to ask them for something that is called wisdom. And then the final component of the quad, as I've told you before, is revelation. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a believer in a biblical worldview, I believe that God's ultimate revelation is what? from the Bible. I trust it. I believe it's inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and true. Archaeology has proven it. History has proven it. Over and over again, we see that textual criticism has proved it. The Bible has been subjected to more analysis than any other book in the course of human history, and that's a fact. That's just a fact. The Bible has been studied over and over again. It's been turned inside and out over and over again. Critics have studied it. Um, Believers have studied it. And what they have come to over and over again is that it is historically accurate and that it is philosophically and spiritually right on target. It hits the bullseye. It analyzes the human condition so accurately that we have to ask ourselves, does this book that seems to contain a lot of historical facts represent some sort of special revelation that has been given to us, that revelation that can serve as what Lewis called a measuring rod outside of those things being measured. Is this, is this an example of revelation, a, a trump card that should be used to win the hand uh, when, when you're playing a variety of different games, card games? You have a trump card, and what is it? It's the most powerful card in your hand. It doesn't mean the other cards are irrelevant. They have value too, but the trump card is the card that wins the day. It wins the hand. If you're holding the trump card, you can put it on the hand, and you take the hand, and that's the nature and the importance of revelation within the quadrilateral. Yes, Tradition is important. Yes, reason is important. And experience is very important. These are three things that you should consider as you evaluate life, as you evaluate and critique ideas. But you need a trump card, and that trump card is revelation. That trump card, within the biblical context, within the Christian context, the Judeo-Christian model, is Scripture. Scripture is the trump card. It's the ultimate revelation. Without that, what happens? Well, now we get back to Marcuse and the Frankfurt School and Marx. Without that trump card, without revelation, without something bigger and better than you or me, bigger and more powerful, more important, more enduring, more unchangeable, more immutable than human systems or even human beings, without that thing, that trump card, then something else will be Come the trump card. And in the Frankfurt School model, that something else will be you. It'll be me. It will be the powerful, the politicians, the pedagogues, the preachers, the priests. It'll be whoever, whoever rises and tries to control the system. Shut down the debate. Stop critical thought and elevate critical theory. Again, The difference here between critical thought and critical theory is critical thought invites the disagreement because it respects logic and reason, tradition and experience, and it actually 
because critical thought has engaged in this for thousands of years, critical thought acknowledges that there is a measuring rod outside of those things being measured that you have to refer to as the judge and jury of the argument of the debate. And that something else is truth. That's why the seminal documents of the United States of America refer to this phrase. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, what's that mean? It means you can't deconstruct them or reconstruct them. You can't make them up. These truths are self-evident. They've been revealed to us. They haven't been made up by power structures. The king can't change these truths. That's what the seminal documents of the United States of America uh, are grounded upon. That seminal assumption, that primary assumption, that cornerstone of our constitutional republic is that there are self-evident truths and that they're unalienable. You can't take them away. You can't change them because they don't exist because of the king and his courts. They exist because in the course of creation, God gave us those truths to be self-evident governing truths in terms of the way we should live with one another. And when those truths are being compromised, you are critically engaged in evaluating them through the critical thinking process. You critique them. You argue. You say, no, we're compromising the basic premise of our human existence and our freedom, and therefore we're going to lose freedom, and a lot of people are going to lose their existence. They're going to be killed at the hands of the compromise of these self-evident truths. But critical theory says, no, there are no enduring truths. There are no self-evident truths. They don't exist. The only truth that exists is the truth of the power structure. And when you're the disadvantaged within the power structure, the, your goal, your purpose in life is to rise up violently if necessary and overthrow the power structure and its claim to truth and establish your own power structure and your own truths and plant your flag deeply in the ground of your new found authority. That's critical theory because it's grounded in Marxist conquest. It's grounded in conflict, us against them, me against you. I will rise up and overthrow you because you today have more power than me. I will establish my own power base, my own truths, and then somebody's gonna follow along a few generations later and say, wait a second, you're oppressing us because you have too much power. And the cycle just continues. The utopia that they claim to be reaching for never happens because there's this vicious, vicious cycle of revenge and retribution. Uh, there's this vicious cycle of I want mine. Like I've said in an earlier show, it's the breaking of one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Critical theory is grounded in coveting, coveting somebody else's power. You've got it. I want it. I'm going to overthrow you. I'm going to crush you, kill you if necessary, to take what I want, and then somebody else later on is going to do the same thing to me. This is antithetical to the system that we've enjoyed in the United States that gave us gave us the freedoms that we enjoy right now. 
that we're in danger of losing because we don't want to even allow what I'm saying to be discussed in today's classrooms. Because, well, you're being critical of the school system. You're being critical of our teachers. You're being critical of our superintendent. We like our teachers, and we like our superintendent. We're loyal to our local schools. How dare you challenge any of us by pointing out that we've kind of been imbibing this Kool-Aid. And we have been teaching the concepts of critical theory. Oh, we don't call it that because we know it's not politically acceptable in our conservative little community. But we talk about systemic Injustice. I mean, we talk about the sins of culture more than we talk about personal sin. In fact, rarely do we even acknowledge personal sin. The sins are the sins of the system. We don't talk about your individual brokenness and the need that you as an individual, whether you're black or white, Hispanic or Asian, male or female, you as an individual need to repent that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No, we don't talk about that at all. We, we don't teach our kids to stop blaming others and maybe look at, look at yourself, look in the mirror, and take personal responsibility. Recognize that you're no better than anybody else and that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that I among all am the greatest of all sinners. We don't, we don't teach those ideas any longer. We blame the system. That's critical theory. It's the antithesis of personal self-reflection and being critical of yourself, critical analysis of ideas as well as your individuality. There's a big difference here. Do you see it? So in the last couple minutes I have, I said I wanted to refer to Noelle Maring's book. She has a chapter called Thought and Speech Control. And she talks about our inability to think. And she refers to the Jewish philosopher Hannah Arendt, who attended the trial of Eichmann, Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the Holocaust. And when she went to the trial, she expected to see the incarnation of evil. She, she expected to see somebody that was so broken, so evil, so monstrous, and so demonic. Uh, and, and, and she was stunned. She didn't see that. She saw a relatively mundane and even ordinary and banal individual. And what she actually records in terms of the thing that struck her more, most about Eichmann was not, you know, this man that was growing horns as if he was the personification of Satan himself. No, what she saw was an individual, quote unquote, that had the inability to think. In fact, she said this, it was not stupidity, but a curious, quite authentic inability to think. Eichmann was just parroting the party line. Eichmann was an individual that had lost his capacity to be a critical thinker. Eichmann had embraced critical theory, the quest for power, and he worshiped the ring of power. And that led him to the point where he couldn't think his way out of a paper bag any longer. And that is why we should be critically analyzing our local schools. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.